This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you all today, and joining me is Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you as well, Sam. Oh, well, I appreciate that. It's so kind of you to say. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been a good, uh, good week so far. We've got a lot of uh, exciting things happening uh, at the ministry. We've got oh. some new online classes and stuff that we're switching over, and so it feels like we're, we're in an exciting time ministry-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, some new logos. Some and new logos coming up, and uh, yeah, so, so, so I'm excited, but uh, more, more important than all of that is um, expanding your understanding and your knowledge of, of who God is, yeah. um, and that's sort of ultimately the thing we, we want to get at, and so we thought we'd just kind of dive into that um, on today's podcast, and so I think we're going to be looking at the, the life of Moses uh, sort of perhaps a bit of a template and what we can learn from from his life and, and apply that to our life today. So, Richard, why don't you take it away? Yeah, and one thing we're going to be doing soon is uh, is uh, developing a new class on a book I wrote a couple of years ago called Unlimiting God Yeah, that uh, you'll be able to take online with us if you want, and we're just making those videos for the class and so on uh, coming up here in a week or so, but but uh, if you've ever read that book, it's actually one of my favorite books uh, called Unlimited God. And it's about how w- uh, we all have limits in our life in different areas. Uh, and when it comes to our knowledge of God, though, the only limit is not God. It's always us. It's uh, yeah. we we limit how much of God we know, it, which is amazing to me that almighty God who could create an entire universe, who could hold trillions and trillions of stars all in their orbits and yet know every cell in the body of every human being, know every thought, uh, that God who lives in a spirit world, which we can't even understand. We don't know what a spirit world would be like. We can't even visualize it. Yeah. Um, but it must be powerful if uh, a spiritual God can throw together an entire universe just to house a little insignificant planet earth. You know, when you think about it, I was uh, just reading again the other day that, uh, it says that when you look out at the stars in the night sky, uh, the light from those stars has perhaps taken a couple of billion light years just to get here. And so when you think about, uh, a couple of billion years ago, God, uh, started those stars in the lights coming this way so that when you yeah. go look at night, now that they've arrived here so that you can see them, um, that kind of God who'd create a, a, a universe that massive, uh, talk about overkill, you know, I mean, what we really need is the sun to circle around. It, we, yeah. If I were you know, being a minimalist God, I would have just had a sun and an earth. <laughs> well, you don't need any extra planets or... Yeah. Uh, but well, you need the moon for the tide. So yeah, you know, the tide. Well, give it, throw a moon or two in, perhaps. But uh, maybe the occasional maybe, meteorite. Maybe, maybe trillions of stars was that's would, a, would be too much. A little, but that sort of tells you what. That's a great picture of God. Uh, yeah, you know, we really needed one star. They can't even figure out uh, how many stars there are because the they when every time they think they may have. somehow grasp the the edge of the universe and they realize, oh no, it goes way beyond that still. There's something after that. um, And so that's that's who God is. 
And so to know that God, to know what's on his heart, what's on his mind, is just beyond us. I mean, our, our brains can't begin to comprehend that. And so to know God, when God says, how much of me would you like to know? Talk about just uh, an open-ended opportunity. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I'd like us just to talk a little bit about that uh, today because um, I could say in one sense, the people that God has used the most powerfully throughout history have been those who have known him perhaps the best. Uh, the more you know how awesome and powerful and holy God is, uh, the more that's going to impact you, the more that's yeah. going to inspire your leadership and your life. And so, um, the more I want to challenge all of our listeners, um, take a moment and think about, uh, the last time you had a major insight into who God was the last time that your knowledge of God's character took a giant leap forward. Uh, and you know, you can go to church every Sunday for 10 years and basically know very little more about God than you did 10 years mm -hmm. ago. You can have a quiet a Bible reading every day and yet not necessarily know God any better than you did. Uh, so just simply putting in time doesn't make you know God. Right. Uh, even going to church, unfortunately, doesn't make you necessarily know God any better. Uh, but And so I want to just look at uh, particularly Moses because in some ways, uh, in, in, certainly in the Old Testament, there's probably no one who knew God any better than he did. Yeah. And uh, I want just to kind of walk through a, a bit of his story. I was looking at this the other day, and it just was inspiring me again. Um, and I think that's one of the, the purposes of Scripture is you look at uh, ordinary people that are just like me, and yet they decided not to be satisfied. They decided to go deeper. And, uh, and they kind of are, they ought to be an inspiration for us to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in, in chapter 32 of Exodus, we have that interesting story where Moses is invited up to the top of Mount Sinai and God is personally dictating, writing with his own hand, the Ten Commandments and the law. And Moses is up on that mountain for 40 days, having the most profound encounter with God that anybody's ever had. And, um, but these Israelites, even though they walked through the Red Sea, they've seen the 10 plagues on Egypt. They've been fed by manna in the wilderness. Um, yeah, all it takes is just 40 days with the preacher away. Um, and they begin to worry and fret and think, well, how, how can we survive without some kind of God? And we, God is spirit. We can't see him. We, we really want a God that we can see. So why don't we just get Aaron to make us this golden calf? And, uh, and then we can all, we'll know where God is. We, we can see him with our own eyes. We can bow down to him. But, but this invisible God, uh, who's in a spirit world, we, we can't understand that kind of God. So let's, let's downsize God down to the level of our understanding, which is a, mm. a typical human response. It is, let's make God in our image. Let's make a God that we can understand. And so, so they do that, and then God tells Moses, hurry and get back down there, there's trouble. Uh, and, uh, and so apparently Joshua has been somewhere on that mountain too, because he's waiting for Moses. He went up partway, I guess, and then uh, Moses went on beyond him. So, so Joshua has been on this mountain for 40 days as well, I guess. And 
which uh, fortunately for him means he doesn't get all the golden calf incident uh, put on his account and his rec- in his personnel file. And uh, sure. so they come racing back down and Moses has uh, a holy hissy, you might say, and uh, brings judgment on the people. He, he pulverizes that golden calf and uh, to powder and, uh, and it is quite a significant moment. In fact, at one point in chapter 32, God says to Moses, now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation, which um, there's this incredible prayer time experience that goes on between God and Moses. Mm -hmm. And God basically says, I've wasted my time on this stiff-necked, rebellious people. I'm just going to destroy them. And, uh, and then Moses, we'll just start all over again. You know, it took me a while there with uh, Abraham, but we can do it again and we'll, we'll build up your descendants. And, um, and, and, and Moses is close enough to God that he knows a sense of the righteous indignation that God is feeling toward an unholy people. And just as an aside, I would say that that is the same holy God who looks at America today. And, Mm. um, you know, I, I think sometimes those who know God well, when you see some of the stuff going on the news, when you see some of what government does, uh, when, you, when you see what Hollywood promotes, what moral uh, standards are being held up today, um, those who know God well have a sense of what's on God's heart and perhaps have a sense of how close judgment might be coming. And so God, or Moses says a fascinating thing, when you get down to verse 32, he says, um, now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you've written, which is to me, one of the most profound prayers you're going to find in the Bible. Yeah. Moses basically says, look, I know I'm already written in the, the lamb's book of life. Um, but if it would, but, but if, if I could sacrifice myself for the sake of this rebellious, sinful, evil people, erase my name, but don't destroy them, um, mm. which is an incredible level of, of praying. And so God will, God then says something kind of interesting. He says, uh, um, he, he gets to uh, chapter 33 and, uh, and it, it, it's one of those chapters you just have to read very carefully as a leader. You know, what does a leader do when you know that your organization or your people are not pleasing to God, that they're not what they ought to be? Um, how do you pray for people like that? How do you pray for your staff? But it says, uh, in verse two, God says, I will send an angel ahead of you and will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hetherites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you because you are a stiff necked people. Otherwise I might destroy you on the way. (laughs) I thought kind of an interesting uh, Mm. way for God to say that. But, but I'll tell you, if God were to come to you and say, how would you like me to appoint uh, your personal angel who will go before you? And if you're, if you're uh, a business person, he will, he will forge a way for sales and customers and any enemy that tries to thwart you in any way, the angel will take him out. And anyone who criticizes you, opposes you, this angel will personally be protecting you. Um, I'll tell you what, you only need one angel to get a lot done. Uh, if you remember back in uh, Isaiah, 
King Sennacherib of Assyria surrounds uh, Jerusalem and nobody has been able to withstand the Assyrian army. And then one night it says God sent an an angel into the Assyrian camp and the next morning uh, 185,000 soldiers are dead and uh, one angel, uh, one death angel drives Egypt to its knees. And so, you know, it's no small thing for God to say, so how would you like me to take one of those angels and say, you look out for Sam, don't let anything happen to him. Make sure that whatever he does is successful. Take him into his promised land. Pretty awesome thing. But uh, one of the great temptations that we have as Christians is settling for less than God's best. And Moses, now I I suppose if if God had made this deal to the Israelites, they might have said, oh, cool, we get our own angel. You know, sign me up. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, Let's let's go to battle, you know, let's take on Jericho. Um, but Moses knows God well enough to say, no, God, that's not good enough. I, an angel, even the most powerful angel you have is no substitute for almighty God. Yeah. So he says, if, but, but if you won't go up with us, then, then we're going to stay here. I'd rather stay in the wilderness with God than go into the promised land with an angel, which is a profound, mm. Uh, it's a profound moment with God, but that, that tells you something about Moses and his understanding of God. A lot of us might be tempted with this because that angel was offering success, just success without God. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, you know, you get everything you want. Yeah. I mean, everything you're striving at, you just, you know, at the cost of your relationship with God. Yeah. And I suspect that there have been Christian business people even even pastors who sold out their relationship with God for success. Uh, mm. to, uh, let me just, I just want just I just want to grow this church. I just want to grow this business. I just want to make this money. Uh, but they neglected their relationship with him. And Moses was smart enough to say, no, if we get everything else but don't have God, then we fail. Um, yeah. And so there's an interesting story too in verse 30 uh, chapter 33 it says in verse 7 now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to, to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the leaders the Lord would speak with Moses. And it goes on to say uh, that as all the, the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up then, bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Um, so hmm. pretty awesome moment here, this tent of meeting that Moses sets up. And apparently whenever Moses was getting ready to go meet with God, He'd be he'd start walking out out to uh, outside of camp, and as people saw Moses walking past on his way to meet with God, all the Israelites would stand in the doorway of their house, of their tent, and they knew where Moses was going, and they'd watch him enter in, and it was a sacred, holy moment. You know, hey everybody, Moses is about to have his quiet time. Get ready because when he when he meets with God, stuff happens, and. Yeah. Uh, Moses would go in that tent of meeting and then this, this cloud that represented the, the, the presence of God 
uh, this cloud that would, would guide them by day so that they knew where to go in the wilderness, it would just sort of descend down over the tent of meeting. And I don't know if it just kind of hid the tent or it, it just became obvious that God's presence had lowered down over that tent and that God was there. Right. And to say that God met with, would speak with Moses face to face like a friend, uh, we know that that doesn't mean that Moses necessarily saw the face of God. It says he spoke face to face. I think what that means is God spoke in a very personal way, a very intimate way. But in the next chapter, uh, God's going to say, uh, but you can't, well, in fact, in this, later in this chapter, God's going to say, you, you can't see my face. If you, if you yeah. saw my face, you'd die. You couldn't, your human eyes could not handle the sight of God that's not shielded and put into some other form that you can handle. Um, and so when it says that God spoke face to face, it means that in a very powerful, tangible, real way, God was there and speaking to Moses in a way that no one else ever was spoken to. Um, but, uh, can you imagine, um, just the, the intimacy that, that Moses had with God. Um, and, uh, and it goes on, uh, then to say, uh, later in that chapter in verse 13, now, if, uh, if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you. And we know that, uh, God's ways are not our ways. And so Moses Mm -hmm is saying, God, God I, re- I really want to know you. And the way to know you is to know your ways, to know how you act, how you do things, how you see things. Moses would say, when I look at the, the, the evening news on TV, I see what I see, but I want to know what you see. I know what I would do, but God, what would you do? Um, and God, I know that you do things differently than me, and I want to know the way you perceive things, the way you act. Um, and so, and then he goes on in verse 15 to say, if your presence does not go, uh, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. Um, and so, um, it, it, so he, uh, so then he gets down to, uh, verse 17 and, uh, and, and God, the Lord answered Moses and said, I will do this very thing you've asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. So God's saying, I know you by name meaning I have a a special relationship with you, Moses. I know your name. That means I know your character. It means we have a relation. If I don't know your name, it means I don't have a relationship with you. But in this culture, to know someone's name meant I I know who you are uh, and we have a a, a relationship. So so God has just told Moses that he knows his name. Moses, I know who you are. So then verse 18, it says, Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. Um, and, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you look at this chapter, just before this here, Moses is going to the tent of meeting and meeting with God and God is speaking to him face to face, like a man speaks with a friend. And so if, if that was our experience, I think we would feel like we'd arrived. I feel, yeah. I think we'd feel like I don't need to take uh, a discipleship class on quiet times. You know, yeah. I've like, I'm talking to God face to face as good as it gets. It, yeah. yeah, like, how do you improve on that? How does it get any better than that? I'm having these daily conversations with Almighty God. Later, it's going to say that when he would meet with God, his face would glow from the from just being in God's presence. So at this point, you would say, he's arrived. 
Like, yeah. does, can it get any better than that? Um, and yeah, what, what Moses is going to say is, but God, I, you know my name, but I don't feel like I, I know all of you yet. And I, I want to see your glory. I, in other words, I, God, I know that even though what I have seen of you is spectacular, I know that you still kind of shield me uh, so, so that I, I don't die. And I want to see more of you. I want to know more of you. And yeah. what I love about Moses and I love about people like this uh, throughout Christian history is that they have this holy discontent that, that no matter how much of God they come to know, they always know that there's still more. And for those business people listening into this podcast, if it may be a, a a business term might be Moses doesn't want uh, to leave anything on the table that God's offering. If God is saying, I, I'll, I'm willing to show you more of myself, I'm willing to let you know yeah. more of my, see my glory, um, then Moses doesn't want to walk away and realize later, oh, God would have shown me more if I'd only wanted to see it. God would have let me go deeper if I'd only wanted to go there. Uh, and so Moses is saying, God, I know that there's more. And so even though what I am experiencing blows me away with how awesome it is, mm -hmm. uh, if there's more you have for me, then I want that too. And so, uh, so Moses is going to come and say, so show me your glory. Um, and maybe we can, uh, we can get to the glory, uh, right after our break. <laughs> sounds good. This fall, Blackaby Ministries is hosting two spiritual leadership coaching workshops. One in the Atlanta area and the other is fully online. The focus of these workshops are learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The online workshop is September 13th through the 15th and the in-person workshop is October 21st through the 23rd. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. You know, I wonder if um, this idea of, of, of God is this inexhaustible resource that we sort of you mentioned right before the break. Um, you know, I just wonder if that's essentially what eternity is going to be. Yeah. Mining the depths of the knowledge of God and and never being fully satisfied and, and yeah. keep going and going. Like that's a that's an interesting thought. But uh, maybe as we wrap up, uh, what is that glory um, that, that Moses does ultimately get to see? Yeah, and you know the glory would represent the essence of God, the his his truest nature, the who he really is at his heart, at his core. Just taking away uh, all the sort of shields that maybe keep us from having our eyeballs burned out by looking straight <laughs> at who God is. Um, and so, verse nineteen in chapter thirty-three, he says, uh, "God said, I, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you.'" And that—that's kind of interesting. God, you know, Moses says, "Let me see your glory," and God says, "I'm going to let my goodness pass by." Now, I think partly what that means is that is His glory—that God is good, that He's a good God, and yeah. and and the, His glory represents His essence. And so what God says is, well, my essence is goodness. It's, mm. it's a good God. Um, and he said, uh, and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. And that word Lord is the word Yahweh. It's uh, the most holy name that the Jewish people knew of God. And it, it basically, when God says, I'm going to speak my name, what he was saying is, 
I'm going to announce to you my character. I'm going to I'm going I'm going to disclose to you who I am, mm. uh, who's who's the essence of who I am. And he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Mm. Uh, you know, there's there's some choruses out there. Uh, I know one that my dad sometimes would get a little cantankerous uh, with, uh, and it, the, the chorus would kind of go, "We God, we, we want to see you. You know, we, we want to see you, uh, which may have been taken from this, passage but god but but my dad would always kind of lean over to me and say do do these people know what they're asking yeah. uh they say lord we just want to see you but my dad would say but if we see him we'll die <laughs> he he is awesome he's not uh yeah. he's not just some cute little newborn baby that oh let's see this baby uh he's an awesome god and and moses the greatest man of God, certainly in the Old Testament, was told, even you would die if you actually saw me. Mm. Uh, that's how awesome God is. And we we do well not never to forget that. So it says, uh, uh, you, so the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice or the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. And it's, it is interesting that there is no description in the Bible of the face of God and, and, or the face of Jesus. And people actually saw Jesus' face and, uh, uh, and they could look at his face. But uh, interestingly, there's still no description. We don't know what color Jesus' eyes were, what color his hair was, uh, how big yeah. his nose was, you know, did he have crooked teeth? We don't, we don't know any of that it's never described but so you get to to chapter 34 and uh and he says come up uh in verse two come come up mount sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop no one may go up with you in fact no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain uh which again is an interesting uh, thought god is saying moses you're you are getting such a special uh opportunity here i not only are you going to be close enough to me to see sort of the, the, the passing of my glory, uh, past you. But, um, but, but everyone else, even the holiest people, even Aaron, they can't even come up on the mountain at all. They're, they, they yeah. can't get anywhere near as close to me as what you're going to do. Um, and you know, I, I, I just, I, sometimes in, you know, I love church history and reading about some of the great saints and, most of the Christian crowd is discontent to stay down in the village in their tent with all the other people. Yeah. But there's always a few that say, no, there's that Mount, there's that Mount Sinai there. Like I, I'm not mm. content just to stay down here with all the rest. I, I know everybody else assumes this is good enough, that this is what we've always had. This is as close as my parents ever got, my grandparents ever got to God. But then there's always some that say, but, but what would it be like to get closer to God, to know him better? And so while everyone else is back, not even on the mountain, Moses is going up to the, to the cleft, to the rock. And, uh, and so verse five says, the Lord came down in a cloud, it, by the way, it's, it, and stood with him. It, 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 you know, that's typical of God. We have to climb up to get to the mountain. God has to come down to get to the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of a contrast there. And it says, uh, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And of course, that name Yahweh became so sacred uh, that 
Jews wouldn't even write it um, on paper for fear that something might happen to that paper, that somehow that name might be disrespected. In fact, for years, Jewish people would not even put the, the vowels in God's name. That's why we're not even entirely sure how to pronounce that name today, because the only writing we have of his name is with all the vowels taken out. So we have to kind of guess what that name, how it was spelled. Uh, yeah. So, but God's going to, himself is going to speak his name and go, and, and basically by describing his name, he's going to describe his character. So he, he, verse six, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. And then he begins to unpack what the Lord or what his name or what his character actually means. And he, and he says, a compassionate and gracious God. Now, if I were to tell you, God himself is going to walk by you, just cover your face, don't look or you'll, you'll, you'll die, but, but listen, and you're going to hear God himself speaking his character, telling you what his character is like. What would you think the first words would, would be coming out of his mouth? Would, would you think it'd be holy, holy, holy? Would it be almighty, all powerful? righteous, uh, amazing, awesome. But interestingly, when God himself, it, you, you, you perhaps have been in some of these icebreaker moments where people said, well, Sam, tell us something about yourself. Well, in the next minute, Sam, yeah. let us know who, who is Sam Kemp. <laughs> and then so what would you say? You know, I mean, yeah. would you say, well, I'm, you know, father of a little girl, husband of Carrie, I'm, you know, this or that good looking, you know, dashing young man, but strong, strong. Yeah. yeah. Make that. Uh, <laughs> but, but when God now is basically put on the spot to say, so God, who are you? Tell me who you are. Isn't it interesting that the first words out of God's mouth after he proclaims his name is compassionate and gracious? Like it, when God describes himself, that's to someone that knew him like a friend. Uh, his first words are compassionate. Um, mm. And I think we just need to be reminded of that sometimes. I think when we go through difficult times, we need to realize that we God is awesome, he's holy, but he's compassionate and he's gracious. And... Uh, and then it goes on to say, slow to anger. Uh, now, that doesn't say he never gets to anger. It yeah. just means he's, he, that he doesn't just immediately hit that button. He gives you every opportunity. Because he's gracious, he gives you every opportunity to turn from your sin, to stop doing those things that offend his righteousness. Uh, he's slow to get to anger. But he will eventually. Abounding in faithful love. That word faithful love is a kind of a technical term for covenant love. That's a love that comes when you're in covenant with him, like, like being in, in a marriage. That's a, that's a covenant. And mm -hmm. when you unite with someone like that, you promise to love one another all of your days. And, and that's what that word means there. And in truth, God speaks truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Uh, and, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, but uh, forgiving your sin uh, and, and basically blessing people to a thousand generations. So when God looks at your life, Sam, and says, I, he doesn't just say, I just really want to bless Sam. What God says is, I want to bless Sam so much that a thousand generations later, I mean, his mm. great, 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 great times a thousand grandchildren are still being blessed because of the way I, I love Sam. Now that's, we, we can't get our minds around that kind of right. thing. Uh, but he says, no, it, it wouldn't be, 
it, it would be too small, God says, just to love Sam in such a way that only Sam benefited from that love. I'm going to love Sam in such a way that thousands, a thousand generations later, they're still feeling the impact of how I love Sam. Mm. That's, you, you just have to stop and say, that just blows me away. I can't even, I can't imagine relating to a God like that. And then, then just at the end, it's interesting. Every solitary thing he has said has been positive. It's been good. He forgives our sin, our iniquity. And then just kind of as almost as, a, as an afterthought, in verse uh, near the end there, he says, um, verse, second half of verse 7, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And we talked about this before, but it's interesting. He, he's, I think God just sort of says, okay, I've gone on and on about how much I love you and I want to forgive you and be gracious. Uh, but I should say, I, I won't just, I, I am holy. And so I'm, I'm not going to tolerate yeah. sin. And, and if I do have to punish sin, I may, pun, I may punish your sin down to your great grandchildren. Uh, now, I, someone has pointed out uh, that when he blesses you, he blesses you to a thousand generations. Yeah. When he punishes you, he punishes you to the fourth. Uh, and I think what that means is either way, what, how God, your walk with God is going to affect your grandkids. Mm. But, but God leans heavily into love and he, and, he, and he seems to lean somewhat reluctantly into judgment. He will judge you. But I don't think that's his default. I don't think that's his preference. He doesn't, he doesn't equally delight in punishing you or loving you. He, he, he wants to love you. He, he, he wants to bless you. Yeah. Uh, he will punish you if he has to, but that doesn't give him any delight. Uh, and, uh, and so he'll do what is necessary, but that's not his preference. And so mm. then as you get to the end of that, it just says, uh, verse 8, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Uh, and I don't, this is a story that I think you just have to read, um, and meditate upon and say, what would that look like in my life? And I, I don't know that we would, I don't know that we would have this kind of encounter with God. We'd, we'd be invited to have something this powerful, but, uh, but I can say this, um, you know, God, I don't think plays favorites. I don't, I think when God invites us to know him, he's looking for people who truly want to know him. And you, certainly in the, in the new Testament, when you get to the apostle Paul, uh, Philippians three, you know, he, Paul says, what for years I was just focused on building my career and building my reputation and building my contacts. And then all of a sudden I, I got to know Christ. And now I realize Everything else in my life is garbage compared to knowing him. And, and I put everything else aside. All I want to do is know more of Christ and more of God. Mm -hmm. And I think Paul is in some ways the equivalent in the New Testament of, of Moses in the Old. It's yeah. Those two guys just had a hunger to know more of God. And because they did, they, they, they were welcomed to go to deeper places than few people have. And mm. I think you probably know people, Sam, you know, sometimes you hear people pray and, and as they're praying, you think to yourself, as you listen to them talk to God, you just say, wow, I, I don't know God that way. I mean, just listening to the way they, they, they have a conversation with Almighty God, it's, it's obvious that they know him far better than I do. Uh, that they have spent a lot of time together talking and communing and, 
And this person has obviously just listened uh, to what was on the heart of God, and he just knows him in ways that I've never heard anybody uh, talk to God about before. And uh, and whenever I get around one of those kind of saints, um, it just inspires me to say, so why am I still in the same place with God I've been for the last five years? Uh, I think it's time to climb a little bit higher on that mountain and mm-hmm. uh, and have God disclose a little bit more. And, uh, you know, and sometimes people say, well, that's just a lot of navel gazing and just all you want to do is just have these day-long quiet times. But remember, this is Moses. Uh, the, when you come to know God, you, you also serve God at a much higher level. Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, Moses, these were not people that, just had quiet times all day and never did anything. They, they got more done than anyone else yeah. in their generation. When you truly know God, you'll accomplish far more. Uh, it's not that you just cloister yourself away in a mountaintop. Uh, these guys, the more you know of God, the more you'll accomplish for God. And so I think as leaders, if we really want to see our leadership go to another level, then we need to see our relationship, our knowledge of God go to another level first. Yeah, well, there's always more of God to know. And so uh, thanks for taking us through this, Richard. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.